Good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, good evening, where you're, wherever you may be uh, listening to the podcast. Appreciate everyone joining us today. This is the uh, episode number four, I believe, of the Full Stack Journey podcast. Thanks for joining us. My goal today, as always, is to help equip listeners to start or continue on your journey to being a full stack engineer. And if you're not clear on what a full stack engineer is, that's okay. Lots of people aren't. I define a full stack engineer as somebody who's capable of moving um, among multiple layers of the modern data center stack, moving across silos. And I'm really excited for today's guest to be joining us, joining me today to talk about becoming or being or working towards the ongoing journey of being a full stack engineer is Brent Salisbury. Brent, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Hey, buddy. Great to be with you. Uh, Brent Salisbury, kind of longtime blogger at networkstatic.net, a uh, longtime network guy that uh, has evolved into uh, maybe maybe a full-stack engineer. I don't know. I, I, just, uh, I think the journey is the journey towards being kind of a general purpose, kind of compute, even a little bit of storage and network guy if you want to. Uh, evolve your your DevOps or your ops career or transition all the way to a developer. So, you know, long-time fan, admirer of what you do. Uh, I think, you know, you're, you're on my top three of people that have basically gone into work one day and said, I think I'm going to change my career and be something totally different, which is a pretty crazy thing to do, but it, uh, it's definitely rewarding and you know, more people should kind of think like you. It's impressive. Well, thank you, Brent. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm truly, you know, thrilled to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you making time. I know that, uh, you know, you and I have been in touch quite a bit over the last couple of years with everything that's going on. And I think that, you know, sharing a little bit about your perspective and journey from being a sort of a longtime network, you know, admin engineer into what you're doing now with uh, Docker is going to be really helpful to uh, the listeners of the podcast. So thanks for taking the time. Well, of course, man. I mean, it's, you know, just like a super quick background is it, it. So, you know, I literally went from, I think it was probably like 2002. I was like, hey, I'm going to get, you know, I got my CCIE. I was kind of fresh out of college, got, you know, a couple of years under my under my belt. I said, okay, I'm going to go get my CCIE. That is the end all. You know, I'm looking at that. When I finally pass, I'm like, this is all I'm going to need for the rest of my life is this piece of paper. And, you know, little did I know that, uh, you know, 10 years later, the, the world would change pretty dramatically. And, uh, you know, not not that, you know, I, I think networking's kind of gotten a bad rap as we've gone into this, you know, we, we went into SDN, I think we're, you know, on the tail end, maybe in the trough of disillusionment at times on SDN, because of what networking people know is so incredibly important, and it will always be important, because like... You know, networking isn't something you learn by, uh, it's not like a, a new programming language or something. In six months, you and I can put together something reasonably decent. And, you know, if we were both had never touched a network, uh, in six months, we would, you know, we'd be able to make some patch cables. We'd probably know what a, what an IP and a MAC address is. But, uh, you know, beyond that, we might be in trouble. So pretty cool. It's a, there's a lot of, I guess my point is, is there's a lot more opportunity for those than uh, if they are in kind of these traditional roles. I, I think that that's not a weakness; it's an advantage because they know those operational pieces that you know a lifelong developer is going to have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I think 
I think one of the things that I try to talk about in every episode with regards to the full stack engineer, and part of this is because this term full stack engineer one is so poorly defined, right? It, mm-hmm. it means a lot of different things, to a lot of different people, but to a, a number of people, it also means that they're, they're taking it to mean that we're expecting people to be an expert in all areas. And, and, and that's not my view at all, because as you point out, look, you're a longtime networking person, you know, you specifically, others that I know in the industry have been in, you know, working in networking for years and years and years and know, you know, forgotten more than I've ever learned about networking. Right. And that gives you an advantage because you've got this great base upon which to build as you look into network automation or moving into full-fledged development or moving into systems background, working more with hypervisors and containers and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you look at somebody who maybe came out of a programming background, they have years and years and years of, of, experience programming and breaking down problems into logical steps and knowing how to assemble them in a, in a language independent way, because you're not tying that to a specific language. So that also gives them a great background upon which to say, Hey, I want to layer on some operating system stuff or some containers or some networking, whatever. The idea here is, is to leverage your existing expertise and add to that in an ongoing journey, an ongoing effort to continue to grow, to continue to expand, to continue to change and evolve along with our industry. You know, you're so right. And, and so, so what is it, what was it for you that, that triggered, you know, that aha moment? Because for me, it's, it's, it's not technologies, it's people. And so it's like you, you meet or you see that, you know, you see that person on Twitter, you see, you know, you listen to Martin Casado on, uh, Greg and Ethan and Ivan's podcast. And it's like, oh, wow, the, the world is so much bigger than I ever thought it was. Um, so, so what was your moment? Because that was basically mine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And I'm, and I'm glad you shared that. I mean, you know, for some people, it is the people of looking at, at a visionary, somebody who's changing the industry, somebody like Martine or, or others who were involved in, in all that work. For me, it's been more about the, more about the technology, which is, is, is odd. It's, it's more like, I think I've described this before, but it's more like I get this, this sort of nagging or this, this feeling in the back of my head that there's, there's something going on or there's a thread. I, I've shared a couple of times, you know, I was in 2012 and I was working. I was at that point, I was still like hardcore VMware. Not that I don't like VMware now. I mean, obviously I worked there. Right. But I mean, that's all I did was vSphere and, and all the rest of it. And I just had this, this, I don't know, this nagging feeling that there was something going on that I couldn't quite explain just yet. And that drove me to, to dive into OpenFlow and Open vSwitch and OpenStack. And, and suddenly I'm just, I'm seeing all these things. I'm like, wait a minute, there's a whole sea change of things going on here. And that's not only going to change the technology landscape, it's also going to change the people. You know, I, I've got to myself be prepared, but I've also got to just kind of out of my nature help others be prepared as well, which was kind of the genesis for a lot of the blogging I've done and, and the podcast, which is, you know, to get on with people who have undergone that journey like yourself and, 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 and myself as well, but to talk to a variety of people who have, who are in the midst of that journey because it is an ongoing journey and, and just get from them, you know, Hey, what triggered it for you? What's your idea? What are the things you're looking at? Right. So that's what it was for me. That's, I mean, you know, and you touch on such a great topic of, you know, when I, when I talk to younger kids, uh, so like I'm in a university town, same place I went to college. So I'll still go back to there and, you know, talk to some of the kids for old professors or whatever. It, it, it's it, the, the best advice I can possibly ever give to people is just give everything away. So like the, the more you're, the more you're trying to give credit to those around you, 
and and this is so applicable to the community. So whether it's, you know, it can be as simple as you're on Twitter and you see something really cool that somebody did and you retweet it, right? Like the more you give away, it comes back three X. I mean, and, you know, I, th- I think both you and I are, are living examples of that. Like, you know, we'll never take credit for somebody else's work. We'll always highlight. I mean, your, your, your blog posts on, um, you know, the, the ones you do with all the links on it. I mean, that's so cool. Like you're going out there, you're, you're highlighting other people and you're really kind of paying it, paying back what you've gotten from the community. And if there's one thing to do, it's, you know, you take the risk. You know, admit you don't know everything. It's a hard thing for some people in IT. I, I admit I know nothing, and so it, it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> and then just look to learn from, you know, everybody has something to teach you. Uh, so it's, uh, I think I've at least evolved twice. So, you know, the first was, wow, I can actually program networks outside of, you know, the, the boundaries of CLIs uh, and proprietary APIs and proprietary uh, hardware, proprietary software, you know, and I think the next was, uh, under, like seeing the container movement happening. Um, you know, seeing somebody like Solomon Pikes, who's, uh, who's the founder of Docker, you know, the, the approach is so beautiful because it's taking complexity and making it easier. So like, and, you know, when we started out with SDN, it was, Okay, we've got, you know, let's get as low level of, uh, APIs exposed and we want to redo everything. And so I, I think we kind of, you know, I felt like I was in this, while it was exciting to be able to do something that traditionally we, it was impossible to ever do, I, I learned a lot from like early big projects where it's like, oh wow, complexity is the killer. I mean, that's, that's the barrier to adoption. So now it's, you know, so, you know, point of that is, is the barriers are getting lowered across the board, whether it's storage, whether it's networking or whether it's compute. Um, and that's something that, uh, over the past few years, the complexity was going up. So it was kind of, I thought it was a lot harder for, uh, a traditional network at traditional storage lady, uh, you know, whatever to, to transition into being a generalist. And now the, you know, there's such a focus on making things consumable, making things easy to use. You know, you're out there blogging on it. There's so many good people out there blogging on it. GitHub has nothing but ways of automating and making deployments easy. So I think it's just a really nice time to jump in and, and, you know, look beyond whatever the vertical you've been in because it's, you know, the writing's on the wall. It's, uh, I do think there's a lot of value in being being able to go deep in one particular area, but also having enough knowledge to kind of work across the stack is so important from just, you know, whether it's your, the culture of your company uh, or whether it's the technology you're using or developing. You know, I like to say uh, I'm not, a, you know, I've been coding, I've been hacking for a long time, uh, full-time software development at Red Hat. Then we went to, uh, we created a startup called Saga Plane. We are focusing on Docker networking. We got acquired by Docker. Now we're at Docker. Uh, so I'm not a 20, 30-year developer. Uh, I'm a you know, lifelong hacker. And so, but coming from that operational side, I, I think, you know, the ability to code with empathy and to be able to, you know, put yourself in your user's shoes uh, and it's even better if you have a decade, even one or two years of just operations. Yeah, you can really get a feel for, for what a user would want and what a user wouldn't want. Uh, 
And if you don't know, then you know, make friends with your users. Go find out exactly what it is, where the gaps are, and close them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think there's I, on on the podcast. I like to focus more on the technical side, but at some point, I suspect I'm going to have to have a whole series of of podcasts that address all the non technical issues, whether it be you know whether you want to lump those under you know the term DevOps, which I think is much broader than I think a lot of people realize or whether you want to just call it organizational evolution or, or whatever you know, term you want to use. But I think there's probably at some point I may have to get you back on here, maybe John as well and some others to talk about some of these organizational non-technical things, because as, as techies, you know, we often get ourselves wrapped up in the technology, but very often there's so much more to it. And that means working with empathy. It means taking the broader view. It means, you remembering that there's a goal in mind, not just deploying technology for technology's sake, but deploying technology to accomplish something, you know, to support your business or change the world or, or you know, change an industry, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the and and it's iterative too, right? Like I've been so wrong so many times, and you know, fortunately, we have a community that's forgiving because like <laughs> we all get excited about a technology, and then we wake up the next day and it's like, oh no. Um, but, but I think if I was to tease out what the, the X factor is, it really is simplicity. So if you're, you know, I, I wouldn't walk into a VC right now and say, this is going to change the world, but it's really complex to use. Like, yeah, I think the odds of being successful of taking something that's complex and making it a little bit easier is a much safer route. Um, like from an adoption standpoint, investment standpoint, so yeah, that's uh, I don't know like anything that's complex right now, and maybe it's just my own ADD. You know, if it takes me more than a couple of minutes to get set up, odds are I'm going to lose interest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think there's I think there's there's definitely some value there. I think that I, I would I would I would add a counterpoint to that in that you need to make it as simple as possible, but no simpler, and recognizing that as possible thing. You know, there there are some things that we build that are necessarily going to be complex things that we build because we're building distributed systems and distributed systems have complexity by the very nature of being a distributed system. Right. But at the same time, you need to kind of, I don't want to say hide that complexity, but you need to mask it in a way that's appropriate for the users to make it easy for them to consume. Right. So that that simplicity from a consumption perspective, I think probably is the key is how easy it is to consume, how easy it is for not only the operator to consume, but also for the consumer to consume, you know, the, the users, if you will, right? You're so right. And a lot of it kind of feels like, you know, and I, and I think that's where having that, that generalized knowledge is so important because what you're really, what you're really doing is picking defaults. I'm, I'm going to pick these initial, you know, defaults that, well, you know, when somebody hits run, this is what's going to happen. And so, like, guessing the right default there uh, is iterative, but... Uh, you know, having that experience under your belt, I think is, is super important. Yeah, I agree there. I agree there. I've seen solutions in the past in my career where you could tell it was written by an engineer who had never been, <laughs> who had never been a user. And you're just looking at it thinking, Oh my word, what, it, what <laughs> in the world did you do with that? You know? So anyway, 
But um, and, and God love them because I, I know. without them we wouldn't have you know finite state machines. We wouldn't have software that can just run you know for for our lifetime. But uh, yeah, on, on the edges it uh, it helps to have a softer touch. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So um, you know you you were you were a network engineer for a long time. You moved to Red Hat. You were working on uh, Open Daylight, if I recall correctly, and uh, yeah, some other things as well, right? And then you left there to join forces with with John and some others, uh, Madhu, uh, to do Soccer Plane. Soccer Plane was acquired by Docker. And then so now you guys have been doing Lib Network. So now you're more in the development field focused on networking or development around networking. So and, – and you and you shared a little bit earlier how Martin and his vision for what he was doing with, with OpenFlow and SDN and, and all the rest of it was kind of the trigger for you. As you, as you kind of moved down that journey – how did what was it that was it the people that guided you in terms of what you decided to to kind of assimilate next? I mean, like you know, I know it was it was Martine that kind of kicked off your interest in SDN, but then was it a, was it a person or was it a technology that drove you from then to do you know Red Hat ODL and then onto Soccer Plane, or was it people along the way? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like for me, it's technologies along the way that gate it, but was it for you? Was it people along the way that helped shape it? Yeah, you know, and I think it's definitely a combination of both. I think it's, you know, realizing I'm not a, I don't even have a Facebook account, right? Like, I'm not a social media guy, but I do really like Twitter because it can be very kind of asynchronous, right? If you want to engage with people, you can engage with people. If you just want to kind of take a peek into what people are thinking, what people are doing. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, my, my current boss, Nick Steinmate, said something other, uh, a little while back, and, I, and it really stuck with me. And it's, it's, he looks for people that are curious. And so I, I think anybody that's, that's worth, you know, worth their weight and salt in, in technology is, a, is by nature curious. How does this work? Uh, so, but if, if you don't know, you know, if you don't broaden your horizons enough to know, you know, what to be curious about. So, uh, you never really can get there. So I think it's like stepping outside of, uh, broadening your scope, stepping outside of like, what, what is it that, you know, you do in your day job? You know, I, I think it's so important to, to look, you know, at, at a very macro level in technology so you can kind of, uh, you know, find where your passion is. So that, you know, having curiosity about like how things work and, you know, how hyperscale does it, how other enterprises do it, um, you know, how the vendor end of the side, you know, spectrum works. So just having kind of that basic curiosity, I think is, uh, you know, pretty important. And then from there, just realizing that you know, the world is, uh, there's so many smart people out there iterating over concepts and, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You can kind of, you know, t take these base kind of components, whether it's open source, whether it's, you know, uh, proprietary libraries that you can consume, whatever, and then putting together solutions that, uh, you know, do change people's worlds in, in some little way yeah, or big yeah. way. Or big way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, that's, that's, that's very good. I do agree that if you are a technologist and you want to have a long and prosperous career, curiosity is going to be part of, it's got to be second nature to you. You've got to be curious. You've got to figure out how it works, why it works. You know, is there a better solution? Is there a better way of doing it? Is there a better way of, of 
putting these pieces together, you, know, you have to ask yourself those kind of questions. So I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's a, a real strong tip for our, for our listeners. You know, if you guys are wondering, guys or gals are out there wondering what, what defines somebody who is going to have a, in my opinion, you know, a, a prosperous, rewarding career. It's going to be somebody who's always out there asking the questions in, in the right way, of course. Um, so I, I kind of just moving ahead a little bit, I, you know, those are some, some, I, I don't know, maybe I, I think the biggest shift in there is probably in your career is probably when you went from network admin engineer to working at Red Hat doing software development. You know, was that a pretty challenging kind of transition for you? Or? Yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty insane to be honest. Um, as you know, uh, you know, I, I was a telecom graduate, so I didn't have a, a CS background per se. So, you know, the, the beautiful thing is the, the internet's a big place and you can basically self teach yourself anything. So, uh, if it's, if it's the passion, then it'll just work. Uh, jumping straight into Java was pretty brutal. <laughs> not the, not the biggest fan of Java. I mean, Java's, uh, Java is great for certain things and there's people out there that have been doing Java for 20 plus years and there's 50 different ways to accomplish something. Um, maybe a couple of them are actually the right way. Uh, so that's, that's one of the, the, you know, from a technology perspective, kind of discovering Go, which is a programming language that came out of Google. Basically, uh, all paths is written in Go for the most part. Um, there's some, some really cool aspects of it. Uh, the people that did it are long-time distributed system guys. They go back to like Bell Labs and, you know, wrote some of the original stuff there. Um, you know, the, the TLDR is, uh, it's got a, it's very readable, uh, but it also compiles down to machine language so I can crank out a binary. Uh, so now I get, uh, you know, performance can be in the ballpark of, you know, C or a JVM. Um, but you don't have to deal with some of the lower level C, uh, type painful things like, uh, garbage collection. There's a garbage collector in there. Uh, and it's much less, it's much more focused on like C-like structs than it is, um, like a traditional object oriented, uh, like there is no inheritance. I'm not necessarily really a fan of inheritance, uh, and really generics either because it's, uh, the code can become too magical and become too unreadable for knuckleheads like myself. So, hmm. <laughs> so if you, if you were talking to, you know, let's say a network engineer, somebody who was you, you know, five or six years ago, right. Where, what advice would you give them? I mean, like years, I think we, we can all agree that ongoing development, ongoing evolution, ongoing change is, is part of just what, I think it's just part and parcel of an IT career. Like, you know, I've, I've heard it said many times and I've used the phrase myself many times. If you don't like change, you'll, you'll dislike irrelevance even more. You know? <laughs> um, so I think we all agree that we need to keep changing. We need to keep growing. And I think that most people will agree that having some sort of, I don't necessarily, you know, full blown developer experience, but at least automation orchestration, this idea of being able to move, or at least be familiar enough with multiple parts of the of the stack that you know you can you can help cross those silos and help make 
intelligent decisions among a team and help lead a team towards, you know, Hey, let's get this thing done rather than fighting over, you know, whose job it is. But what, what advice would you give to kind of this, you know, hardcore network engineer? Like where would, where would, where would she need to start? Like, should she jump right into go or should she pick up Python or, you know I mean? And obviously this will be colored by your own experience, but I'd be, I would just be curious to know, like, where would you tell somebody to start? Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, you know, I think the first thing is before you even stress about the technical, you know, what language I choose, like take a look at the pain points in your organization and then figure out how to automate it. I mean, SDN specifically, we really jumped out of the gate and how do we reinvent packet forwarding? And I think we kind of missed the target where it, it should have been how do we how do we automate tasks, repetitive tasks? Um, so, you know, if you're a network engineer in an enterprise or if you're, you know, anybody in ops in enterprise, like, where, where are your pain points? Where are your outages? Where do they come from? Nine times out of ten, in my opinion, they're going to come from config management changes. Uh, so a simple thing to do that, you know, I get really encouraged as I'm starting to see more and more of it is just automate all your changes. Because how many times have have you pruned off a VLAN that was going to a trunk that you just now melted down, you know, uh, either a data center because of a bridging loop, or you've, you know, isolated off uh, a, a VLAN that's carrying, you know, all database traffic for a, a pod. So you know, step one is kind of learning enough scripting to automate all your changes. Um, we've got you know guys like you and Jason and Matt that are writing books around it. Um, there's, you know, one of the, one of the nice things of network being in networking and I would probably say storage too is that, uh, we do trail in the evolutionary cycle. So predicting the future is fairly easy when you're, you know, at least a couple years behind. Uh, so, you know, look at, look at what, what the DevOps community has been doing for the past five to 10 years that, that really kicked off from virtualization. Uh, originally in you know early 2000s uh, so you know step one get away from manual changes <clears throat> I would say the other that I think is really important that you know I've learned as as much from you as anybody on was you know understanding how networking works in a server um, there's a guy by the name of Scott Shanker out of uh, where was he out of Berkeley that his talks are, are fairly timeless. Um, and, you know, one thing he points out is as of 2011-ish, uh, there's more virtual ports than physical ports. So that should tell us, because as compute becomes more dense, uh, the ability to have um, an enormous amount, you know, multipliers of 5 and 10x of, of virtual ports inside of a server. So it's kind of like the old IBM commercial where, you know, the data center is full of stuff, and then it shrinks down into a rack in the corner. Uh, so, so the, the the density that's happening in virtual computing slash networking uh, is is pretty critical uh, to understand. Uh, so, there, there's a whole another world when it comes to virtual networking, and there's you know endless paths to go down. Um, you did a great talk for us at uh, DevOps for Networking Forum uh, last month, two months ago. 
uh, at ONS, which was going through all the Linux networking types. I love it. Like <laughs> that was a fun and, talk. <laughs> uh, I mean, you you killed it in thirty minutes. You managed to like go through all the types, and it's. I mean, the the beautiful. Uh, you know, we're both you know huge fans of OBS, obviously, right? right. Uh, we we both definitely owe a great deal of gratitude to guys like Justin and Ben that uh, you know have put in you know tireless amounts of work. But there was a there was a component that I definitely ignored, uh, really up until um, Docker. Which was Linux networking. So there's there's so much evolving in Linux networking. Uh, you've been right there with me as we've been kind of exploring Mac VLAN and IP VLAN. Uh, like these are things that are changing the world for sure. Because you know, and I think there's one factor above any else, and it's simplicity. It's why do I have a bridge when I can attach a container or anything else directly to an interface? Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of those old constructs, you know, I mean, we've, we've, uh, I think a lot of network people say, oh, L2 is bad. I've said that for a long time because, you know, my own experience of getting burned by bridging loops, uh, as probably 80% of outages in an average enterprise, uh, those are, those are concepts or really constructs that are starting to get a little long in the tooth. So why do we need broadcast domains? Why do we need, you know, so there, there's there's tons of opportunity to kind of figure out what it is, like what makes the internet scale, and then how do we take that down to uh, a data center? So, I mean, there's as much opportunity out there uh, as there's ever been in networking, and if you understand, you know, the first step is understanding what's happening in the system. You know, whether it's a Windows box, you know, whether it's a Mac, whether it's uh, Linux, you know, the the <clears throat> that's where the density, that's where the growth is. So I think understanding that's really important. Uh, and having some basic remedial, like how do I manage a system? Uh, do I want to have an immutable, do I want to have an OS that I'm changing? Or do I want to have uh, containers that are running in an isolated environment, VMs that are running isolated? And, and why why does that benefit me by, by not mucking up an operating system that will eventually eat itself? Right, right, right. So kind of the three things that I heard you mention there, and I just want to pull those out for the listeners. First, you would say, look, let's let's start by – well, first and most importantly, I think you said focus on the pain points in your organization. Don't don't get wrapped around the axle on the technology. Which language do I use or which tool do I use? But instead, you know, what is the goal you're trying to achieve, which I think is something a lot of IT folks overlook. They get too involved in the technology discussion first rather than what are we trying to do here. Um, but then once you've done that, some specific steps you can take, um, automate your configuration changes rather than doing that stuff manually, know how networking works in a server, um, get yourself some some sysadmin experience on Windows, Linux, whatever, um, so that you kind of understand why some of the things that are happening with virtualization and containers are happening and the benefits that they offer to the operators. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, and I wish I was uh, articulate enough to sum it up that quickly. So no, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> like I just I, I'm listening, and I want to pull out the key points because one of the things that I I'm, I'm really kind of obsessed about with with the podcast is making sure that readers readers I keep saying that because it's ten years of blogging <laughs> listeners can listen to one of these things while they're driving to work or driving home or riding on the train or whatever, and then come away with specific things like, hey, that was a great talk. Here's something specific I can do. Right. 
Um, so that's why I try to sum that up. But I mean, all the stuff that you said was just, was awesome. It's absolutely important. Um, so if you had to, I'm trying to, trying to phrase my, my questions here to, to pull the most out, like looking back on the journey that you took, was there anything that you did that now you would look back on that and say, yeah, I really shouldn't have done that. Like a pothole that maybe somebody else could avoid. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you know, and look, I've been, you know, truly blessed by having, you know, such amazing friends in the community. Uh, you know, I, I think like anything else, discovering community sooner, um, would have been probably one of the things I would have done much earlier, uh, in my career instead of, you know, 10 years later, you, you take the blue pill. Um, you know, I, the other would be if you do have significant, uh, experience at doing something, don't, don't second guess like your gut. Uh, so if you, if you've been doing something for five years and you know that problem inside and out and it's important to listen to, you know, other people's ideas on it. But at the same time, if you know something scales because you've been doing it, you know, uh, for some portion of your career, uh, instead of saying, I need to reinvent this, you're probably much better off kind of iterating on, on what you know to be fact when it comes to, you know, distributed systems, when it comes to designing networks. Uh, and, and don't be afraid to just, you know, look at what other people are doing and, you know, recognizing that they have a better idea and, you know, <laughs> don't let your ego get in the way, you know, like be open-minded. Um, but at the same time, don't, you know, uh, don't say, well, this person is really smart. I should do exactly what they're saying because, Odds are, you're, if it's completely orthogonal to whatever whatever you you know at your heart is the case from years of experience, kind of stick to that gut. That got you right. It's an interesting contrast right there because how do people find the balance between leveraging their experience, which is absolutely valuable? I agree. You know, if you've been running a network for five years, or if you've been managing servers for some number of years or whatever the case may be, there's a wealth of knowledge there in your environment that you've been doing. You can't just throw that away because somebody says the new hotness is the greatest thing, right? You, you've got to take that. And yet at the same time, you've also got to be ready to say this way that I've been doing it may not have been the best way. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a, it's a fine balance. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it comes down to like making good decisions. Um, it's super tricky, and and I hate to. I wish I had something that I could share with the readers. Like, this is how you do this. But I think this is this is one of these things that, that I think every person has to find for themselves. But I do agree that so often in in technology we we tend to focus too much on what's happening in Silicon Valley. And we all know Silicon Valley is, you know, it's got, it's its own bubble. <laughs> you know, it's this giant echo chamber located in California. Right. And, 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 and not, not that, that the stuff that's going on in the Valley isn't important. I mean, it, it, it is uh, innovation has to happen, but at the same time, you have to take that with a grain of salt and say, does that, does that apply to my, my network, to my data center, to my applications, my organization, my career, 
where is the, where is the balance point between looking at what they're doing and saying, this is something that I need to incorporate versus what I'm doing. I know from my experience, you know, it rocks, it's stable, it works, it scales, you know, I can manage it and I'm not, you know, and I'm doing well. I mean, that's, that's a really, really tricky balance to find. Oh, and I went down the painful path. I mean, you know, when like Madhu and I used to joke about it, it's our uh, Yvonne Pepignac test. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, you know, here's a guy 40, 50 years at it. And, uh, you know, odds are if, uh, you know, somebody like that's like, what are you thinking? Then there's probably a good reason he's saying that. <laughs> I mean, distributed systems, having distributed control planes. That's what I'd done for the first half of my career. So thinking, you know, well, it's so important to question it and and iterate on, on ways to improve it. Um, you know, staying rational at the same time is, is uh, you know, pretty important. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that rational that 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 focus on being rational about it is really the key there. That's probably the thing that you can pull out and say, you know, take that information in. Don't let your ego get in the way, as you said, right? Don't let your ego get in the way. There may be a way for you to do it better. There may be a a different way, a new way for you to do what you're doing. But be rational about it. Evaluate it ruthlessly. <laughs> you know, instead of just taking somebody's word for it, instead of just listening to the marketing slides or listening to some you know, bloke on a, on a podcast or in a, on a blog saying, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, evaluate it, be ruthless about it. And does it really make sense? And then when it does, you incorporate that into your environment and, or your career, your skill set, And, and I think you'll end up being, being better off for it. You know, and something, something you just said kind of got me thinking, um, you know, 10, you know, 15 years ago when I was starting out, it's, you know, you got experience, particularly in networking, but I would say it's definitely applied to storage at the very least also, was uh, the, the barrier to entry was getting a job at a shop and then getting access to big enough pieces of iron uh, that you could, you know, really cut your teeth and get that experience. Uh, nowadays, the beautiful thing is you can do everything basically on your laptop. Of course, you're not going to be able to do things at scale, but you know, it, it's it's so vital to to really dig in, get in the lab, you know, look at things like you're doing on your on your blog, and, and you know, like you can get so much experience by never touching a production network. So, I mean, if you're starting out and you're you know pulling cables right now, well, there's nothing in the world stopping you other than you know finding your passion about what you're interested in because. All the tools are available. Open source is eating the world. Uh, you know, the, the gap between what hyperscale is doing and what's transparent in the community is shrinking every day. I mean, I think it used to, I would argue it used to be a, a five to ten year gap from, you know, what's, what some of the, the handful of big, uh, providers are doing to what you could do in your own enterprise. I mean, if we look at things, you know, what we've been doing with IPV land, you know, the world's biggest companies are doing that. Well, now that it's upstream in Linux, you know, six months later, we can now do that. Yeah. Uh, so the, you know, the, uh, the open source piece is, is pretty darn important. Yeah. I don't disagree there. And obviously my focus, as you can tell over the last few years has been heavily open source. And I do agree that it's having a tremendous impact on the industry and on people's careers, 
because of what we're able to do. So kudos to everyone out there who is working on open source projects. Um, maybe if I'm lucky, uh, I'll, uh, I'll hit one of my goals for this year, which was to make a code contribution, actual code contribution, not a documents contribution, but a code contribution to an open source project. So we'll see. Uh, I can pretty much guarantee you that your, your, uh, tutorials are sprinkled across plenty of people's code. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps I don't know about that, but trust we'll see. me when I first yeah. started digging into namespaces, it was like one blog post blogger out there talking about it. And it was you, so. <laughs> I see, I see, I do, I do have to say, I seem to be lucky at picking out the things that in about a year later, suddenly everybody's looking at. So, well, I mean, but uh, tremendous, that's, a tremendous blessing, I guess. I'll tell you though, that's the differentiator. So your, your old boss, uh, Martin told, you know, so one of the more, perf- every time I've ever, you know, interacted with him, it's always, I walk away with something fairly profound, but it's, you know, what, what separates, what separate, everybody's smart, you know, to summarize it less eloquently. Everybody's smart, but, uh, making the right decisions at the right time is, is the, is the differentiator. So. Indeed. Indeed. You're right about that. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and that was that, you know, for a lot of people who are making that transition, you know, you orient yourself first, looking at the problems that are in your current role, or maybe if you're looking at making a, a change in your current role, you look at kind of where you want to be. And then based on that, you begin to make the technology decisions. And, and you said, you know, look, there's lots of information out there. Most of what you need to do, you can go out there and you can, you can self-teach. I was curious, was there, are there any sort of resources or things that you used that you found really helpful? Was there, you know, there's lots of these online code things. I don't, I, mean, I don't know if, if that was something or was there a, you know, particular people or person or, or group of people that you found really helpful as you were making that transition or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I, I'm not, and, and as, as much as I wish I could, I'm not the kind of guy that can just like pick up a book and pound through it and then, you know, be enlightened at the end. Uh, I, I need to like, before, I, I'm, and I'm terrible with instructions. So I tend to just pile right in find code snippets, break it 20 times over, and then uh, go through the painful way of actually learning kind of the fundamentals by trial and error. Uh, So it's incredibly probably inefficient at times, uh, but through that that simple kind of task of troubleshooting and muscle memory is is, uh, how I learn, basically. So, you know, I mean, I think everybody's, Everybody's unique in how they learn, but I'm definitely one that just, you know, until I've tried it, used it, broken it 50 times over. Um, so <laughs> I'm definitely a, a, a test-driven kind of guy. Though I, I'm not a great test writer, uh, but, you know, that that's one of the things I love about uh, a technology, like a language like Go is it's very fast to compile. Like, you know, there's there's been a project I used to work on in the past that, uh, it would take about ten minutes to build. So I make a I make a code change to you know change a line, add a print statement to debug something, and then build for ten minutes. Like that just doesn't work for me. Like I admire, like I'm envious of people that can, you know, write out two thousand lines of code and build it, and it works. But that's just not me. <laughs> so one of the problems that I wrestle with personally in trying to build my own sort of programming experience, which is practically nothing right at the moment, 
I can write some Ruby in a Vagrant file. But that's about it. And uh, is is syntax dealing with syntax? So I was wondering, kind of out of your own experience, if you had any tools or tricks to help people with with syntax. Yeah, so I'm a very snippet oriented guy. Uh, anytime, you know, actually, you know, I, I probably ended up uh, mirroring a lot of how I blog from you because uh like i don't really like to blog unless i'm i'll sprinkle in some opinion but then i'll throw in here's how to do something i want you to be able to walk away from every post on being able to do something new or whatever i need massive amounts of snippets like i need a main function and then i want to you know so finding a language that's very modular is important to me that i can make a function that's going to do you know that i can i can drop into a single file have a main there and then run it and then take that and put it into the bigger project or whatever I'm working gotcha. on. Right. Uh, so like GitHub is is so amazing for that. It, like learning how to like search really well on GitHub is is important for me because if it's you know again I'm probably not going to go to the GoDocs and and read how do I do something. I'm going to like look for a snippet, run it, see how it works, and then apply apply it to uh, you know whatever I'm working on. Uh, so yeah, getting. GitHub is just invaluable for me there. Got it. So you, for for yourself, it was a matter of looking at this sort of in a building block approach, finding a snippet that does the piece that you wanted it to do, leveraging that to on whatever your project you're working on. And then over time, as you look at this code and you see these snippets, you begin to kind of understand this is why it's written this way. This is why you refer to this syntax, this arrangement, whatever the case may be. That's how you kind of bypass or, or overcame that issue yeah absolutely okay. and the and the good things the good thing is the more you do it the more you know the concepts mm-hmm. you know typically a method is a method a function is a function an object is an object um so the, it, it gets pretty universal so you know it's it's always hardest to learn the first language um after that it becomes easier you know you find a 30-year developer they've probably gone through 20 different languages proficient in all of them uh, but but the first one is definitely the hardest. Right. I, I like Python and Go for starting out. You know, I, if if Go was a you know I, we all like we started in Perl because that was for whatever reason like the the network Perl and Tickle were the the, the network admin's choice. But uh, I, I think Python's great for scripting, and then anything performant related, I definitely start leaning towards Go. Okay, that's cool. That's good to know. Helpful that uh, lots of lots of projects are using Python these days. So it seems like Python is a good choice for people to to choose if they're looking at just kind of getting into it. Maybe that could be their first language, and then from there they could uh, expand into something more. So we're yeah. we're just about out of time because I like to keep these things at less than an hour. And uh, this has been fabulous. I've thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. I could sit here and talk to you for two hours, but I think our, <laughs> the listeners would probably get tired of listening and would would, would uh, say, okay, enough's enough. <sighs> so in, in wrapping up, I'm just curious. You know, we talked about how you know, using social media, using your network, using the community can help you identify people who are kind of moving in the industry. And that might give you an idea of where things are going or what sort of things are going to have an impact, right? While I was looking at the technology side of it. I'm just curious to kind of get your your take. I think a lot of people would probably rightfully so look to you as somebody who they might say, okay, who's the who's the canary in the in the coal mine, so to speak, for me? Well, that's that's Brent. He's a, you know he used to be a network engineer. You know he went on started doing some coding. Now he's working in the container space and and looking at you know networking for containers and and just virtual networking in general. What are what are the sort of 
Uh, I think I, I think I know the answer, but what are the sort of technologies or things that are capturing your attention right now that you think, hey, you guys should pay attention to this because it's going to be big? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, John Lewis and I joke about uh, kind of the anti-pattern of SDN. So SDN was incredibly important from an evolutionary perspective. And so how do we take how do we take that that very future looking you know how do we take how do we cherry pick the really important things that have come out of that uh, such as automation such as you know provisioning integrations with orchestration uh, and then apply that in a in a very safe manner uh, into stable technologies that you feel comfortable in deploying uh, at massive scale uh, so you know I mean Right now, I'm focusing on things that have been around for a long time uh, just because uh, I'm very comfortable in saying if you drop a .1Q trunk into a server, that's going to work. Uh, if you drop, uh, if you need to advertise routes out of a tour uh, for reachability to containers, VMs, whatever, very comfortable with that because we know it works. We know the internet scales. So uh, really focused on kind of practical pieces that uh you know our goal is you know to to be able to facilitate the you know have the building blocks there that'll fit any network architecture you know if it wasn't created 10 years ago uh, i'm probably not focusing on it right now well well there is one that you're focused on that wasn't created 10 years ago well, so like, yeah, like IPv LAN. Exactly. That's yeah, what I was yeah, waiting yeah. for. <laughs> no, totally, totally like Mac VLAN, IPv LAN. But, and I guess it's the concepts behind, like how they integrate into the rest of, of the data center are very, are fairly traditional. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, so I, that's, that's kind of, you know, I'm very interested in that right now because it all comes back to the simplicity thing. If, if somebody needs to deploy, Something in a data center, there needs to be the options to fit into existing models, uh, and along with you know future thinking cloud-proofed models. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah definitely. We, so anybody that's you know interested in virtualization, uh, we're looking for feedback on IPv LAN, MAC VLAN drivers, and Docker. So uh, which, are, which are, if I recall correctly from our discussion, are, are in the experimental builds for 1.11, right? Yes, sir. Right, and there so. is there is a uh, there's an issue open on Docker right now that uh, uh, Kelsey Hightower has been great and given some really cool feedback. Kelsey's a great guy, so you know he he gets the uh, you know he gets the value of it. Um, you know it was upstreamed originally in the Linux kernel by Google, so uh, they're definitely invested in it. And it's it's an it's a really nice blend of uh, new ways of thinking that are that have been around since, you know, networks were born. Yeah. And, and again, thanks to you for all the, the input. Uh, it's been, it's been super helpful. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm actually really bullish on IPv LAN L3 as well. I think that it's, there's a lot of potential there for reshaping how we do networking. Yeah. Um, you, you I mean, it's, it. it's, it's fascinating that it's a, I mean, my favorite thing is to spin up an L3, uh, IPv LAN L3 container and you don't see and run TCP dump. You don't see broadcasts. You don't see multicasts. Like mm -hmm. it only accepts unicast traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's huge opportunity for integrations in the network because since it doesn't take broadcast or multicast traffic, 
uh, it's going to need someone to point a route to that container. Uh, so whether that's, you know, running some kind of GRP on the host or that's a vendor integrating in a top of rack, you know, the, the really cool thing about it is it solved one of the hardest problems of SDN that we all struggled with. And that's who's going to answer ARP. Mm. Uh, it just happens. <laughs> so if you have two completely separate uh, networks and they're both attached to the same parent interface like ETH0, they can ping each other. Like I don't have to do an ARP proxy. I don't have to flood. I don't have to do any. It just magically happens. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, definitely exciting. All righty. Well, listeners, you heard it here. IPV land is going to be the future. <laughs> you heard it from Scott. Oh I, well, yeah. Let, let's just be joined about this, right? You know, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten into it if you hadn't mentioned it to me in a Twitter DM. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, we need to wrap it up because uh, getting cl- getting close to the end of our time piece here. Brent, thanks so much for for taking some time to chat with me today. I, I just absolutely love love the opportunity. Love what you're you're doing. Um, why don't you take a minute and kind of tell folks who are listening where they can find you on the the internets, so to speak. Yeah, just uh, so at Network Static on Twitter and originally NetworkStatic.net on uh, blogging and Nerd Alert on GitHub. Love talking to anybody, so I'll always make time for it. And I can I can verify that. Brent is always great about making time to catch up anytime we're, we happen to be in the same city, which isn't very often, but it does happen from time to time. Uh-huh. Thanks, uh, thanks, listeners, for, for joining us today. Appreciate that. Um, once again, my name is Scott Lowe. This has been the Full Stack Journey Podcast. Um, if you are interested in catching up with me online, you can uh, hit me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe. Um, I blog at blog.scottlow.org and I am Low Scott on GitHub. Feel free to uh, contact me via any of those mechanisms. And uh, this has been another episode of the Full Stack Journey Podcast. Thanks a lot and we'll see you again next month. Mm-hmm.